The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. For the next hour, Monterey College of Law's Dean Mitchell Winnick and law professor Stephen Wagner will discuss current legal events and public policy issues that are affecting our daily lives. They will not provide individual legal advice. If you have a specific legal problem, you're encouraged to contact a lawyer for legal assistance. If you do not have a lawyer, contact the local bar association or lawyer referral service in your community for recommendations. And now, here's Wagner and Winnick on the law. and welcome to another edition of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. I am San Luis Obispo College of Law professor and trial attorney Stephen Wagner. And as always, I am joined by my co-host, Dean and President of San Luis Obispo College of Law and Monterey College of Law, Mitchell Winnick. Mitch, good day to you. Good day back to you, Stephen. And it's a great day here. You know, I just talked with one of our colleagues who's been on the show before, Greg Brandis. He's in Colorado, and he was digging through the snow, if you can imagine that. That's amazing. And he said, it must be a little prettier here. And of course, since we're broadcasting out of California, I brag a lot about, well, it was only about 65 sunny and not a cloud in the sky. His response, I can't say on the I air. I was about to say, can you go public with his response? <laughs> I cannot. Right. I don't I know cannot. if he was digging. I think it was mild shoveling, but that's all right. <laughs> all right. Anyway, well, we have another exciting thing to announce today. This show will be our inaugural show on voiceamerica.com. We're here locally on KSCO, our local AM radio station. We have been on biztalkradio.com now for several months, which is our, as they say, terrestrial radio, radio network. And we are now going international with voiceamerica.com. Bravo. Congratulations to you. <laughs> and congratulations and back, back to you. Exactly. It, it, it has been a team effort. No, it's great. The expansion is really great. And we're, we're quite, quite uh, happy and proud. And we hope that this will really uh, lead to greater things and greater expectations. That's right. And that means still that people can contact us at comments at wagnerandwinnick.com. And we will respond to those questions, comments, on the next show. That's great. Hey, it's tax season. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Did you file? Should I ask? Have you filed yours yet? You know. I mean, it's only due Monday. I I knew that you were going to ask me that, right? And I'm going to. Can I assert a privilege? (laughs) Well, I think you have your lawyer here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, so. (laughs) And that's not me. I want to make that clear. So, what I wanted to say was it's. Income tax. 
season, it actually. Okay. And, and take this opportunity to introduce our guest today. Because okay. we are going to take on the topic of taxes. And of course, it's I called it tax season because the obligation to file taxes is upon us. And I believe that would be Monday the 18th. That's right. And when this when this comes out on voiceamerica.com on our th new Thursday slot, if they're hearing this and they go, really? That's not good. That's they will good. have missed it, and we're going to talk about what they will do then. That's a good warning. <laughs> so, so here's what I would like to do, and I want to bring in our guest because we're really fortunate today to have Bill Purdy. Bill is a partner in the law office of Simmons & Purdy. The firm is located here in Santa Cruz County in Soquel, and Bill's practice is concentrated in areas of mortgage-related problems and taxation. He has been assisting homeowners with mortgage-related problems for 10 years. He has been a tax attorney for more than 30 years. He has a master's in taxation from New York University uh, School of Law, but I think the most important accolade that Bill has on his resume is that he put up with me as a student in his tax class. Bill, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for inviting me. Well, so Bill, does anybody like having a tax attorney? I uh, guess if they're in an emergency. No, I'll let you just say, does anybody like their tax attorney? I would, <laughs> I would uh, classify them pretty much as I would uh, criminal defense attorneys. They either love you because you help them or they don't feel you did anything for them because they had to pay a tax they didn't want to. Wow, so that's, that's I, a, we have yeah. our detractors and we have people who uh, send us uh, cards and letters. Yeah, so we're going to get into that necessary evil topic because I don't think we can get away from it. But in the lead in, you know, Bill, I was talking about this idea of income tax. And I know this is right in your wheelhouse. And let's start with just the basic. Income. There's got to be a definition for income. Well, the, there are. There are. There are several. Um, unfortunately, what comes out of the courts, particularly the U.S. Supreme Court, or generally legalistic uh, definitions are pretty much unhelpful. They they talk about things like undeniable accessions to wealth, which is in itself a mouthful. Doesn't necessarily help you. Wait, very wait, much. wait. An undeniable accession to wealth. Yeah. I, I Let's would break like that. Down. I would like some of that. What yeah. What would that be? What, how would I know it if I had it? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the odd thing is that uh, you you take that at face value. You would assume that when someone passes away and leaves you a very large amount of money uh, by will, that that money, when you received it, would be an undeniable accession to wealth. You had that money uh, only by virtue of someone dying and leaving it to you. Yet the Internal Revenue Code pretty clearly says that that is not income taxable. All right, well, that's so, counterintuitive. Yes, Who would have is. guessed that something in the tax code might be counterintuitive? Uh, well, another <laughs> thing that is an anomaly about just looking at that definition is that uh, you can borrow a million dollars. You can borrow a billion dollars, assuming that you can qualify to get it. And you can put that cash on the floor and roll around on it, and, and you can spend it. Um, and it is not income taxable because you have an obligation to repay it. So the so, obligation to repay it takes it out of the definition of accession to... An undeniable accession to wealth immediately. However, I always tell people, because this has bitten millions of people in the last five years, if you borrow money, it is not income because you have to repay it. But if under certain circumstances later, you do not have to repay the money you borrowed, it becomes income at that time. So I, I have actually seen this happen with students who had private student loans. If that loan has subsequently forgiven, you know, they think, 
hoorah, now they, they've, they've got all of this money they don't have to repay. But as you're saying, at that point in time, there'll be scenarios in which that is now income at that year. It absolutely can be, which of course uh, sounds wonderful, except that many of the circumstances under which a loan is forgiven, there is no corresponding cash available at that time with which to pay the, the tax. Now, the one thing you can always say about that particular situation is that the tax you will pay is certainly far less than having to repay the debt itself because it is a function of that amount. However, it can be devastating and in the area that has has ensnared and been the 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 demise of many people's uh, finances has been when their homes have been foreclosed upon. And due I to remember the when all that was happening yeah. during the mortgage foreclosure crisis and they, people were very happy that they could renegotiate arrangements. But as you're saying, some of those arrangements triggered a tax debt. Well, if, they were, if the loans were forgiven, there is the potential for them to have to pay tax. Now, there are exceptions even then to having to pay the tax on forgiven income. And, and the problem is... There were many problems with it, but uh, this type of income, the exceptions, you have to very carefully look at them. You need to see a professional tax advisor immediately. This is not something you do on your own tax so, return. So you just tripped the wire on a topic that we want to expand upon. We are coming up on a break, but this idea of the short sale phenomena and the idea of cancellation or forgiveness of debt and uh, what listeners need to know and the role of a CPA and a little bit more about your practice. Um, maybe you get a chance to talk about it a little bit, Bill, before um, I get the, the music in my ear for a break. But essentially, what is it that you do in regard to for, uh, debt forgiveness? And, and what's the difference between, well, that and even more important, the difference between a CPA and a tax attorney. Sure. And those, that's One has an confusing. excellent sense of, of, of humor and the other does not. <laughs> yeah, so we, um, uh, the first thing I would I've say... I've had a couple of CPAs. I suspect that's not the category we, you're talking about. We don't do humors <laughs> on the back of their card, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the first thing I would say to anybody that's looking at these issues is for them to undertake this themselves is like taking a rubber knife to a gunfight. This is absolutely a situation if you're looking at significant debt relief due to a short sale or a foreclosure or basically any situation where a loan is being forgiven, you need to get a professional involved immediately. It doesn't have to necessarily be an attorney. There are many CPAs that are versed in this. Unfortunately, there are many who are not. The reason that they're not is not anything other than the fact that that particular type of problem, in other words, having a mortgage forgiven or having uh, not so much forgiven as the mortgage, the, the, the lender unable to collect the debt, which was what the laws of the state caused to happen, that hasn't happened to large numbers of people since the Great Depression. And so there hasn't been huge amounts of people giving up homes under circumstances where the lenders were prevented by law from collecting the money after the foreclosure of the short sale. All right, hold that thought. We'll pick back up on that topic. When we... You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network. Our topic today is taxes, and our guest is attorney Bill Purdy. We'll be right back after this short break. Don't go away. Deciding to go to law school brings up questions like, can I afford it? 
Will I be prepared to take the leap and open my own office when I graduate? I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true with professors who are practicing attorneys and judges. They mentor our graduates. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Creighton Mandeville says. I wasn't crippled in debt coming out of Monterey College of Law. I came out of it with no debt. I was able to do some working during that time and some savings, so I exited law school with no debt. I did feel prepared coming out of law school. I started helping friends with the issues that came up for them, and Monterey College of Law has so many great faculties and things that there were resources for me. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. For 45 years, the Boys and Girls Clubs of Monterey County have been a vital part of our community. The club's mission is to inspire and empower the youth of Monterey County to realize their full potential to become responsible, healthy, productive, and successful citizens. As just one of the club's programs, more than 12,000 children and families have enjoyed safe after-school care at the Boys and Girls Club's Salinas Clubhouse. Boys and Girls Club of Monterey County is very excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. For more information about this exciting opportunity, contact President and CEO Donna Ferrero at dferrero at bgmc.org or call 831-757-4412. My Chevrolet, my Chevrolet, when you need a car, truck, say my Chevrolet, in our Salinas Valley, the best two words to say, when you need a car, truck, say my Chevrolet. For your next new or pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, check out the great lineup of vehicles and fantastic deals now at My Chevrolet. My Chevrolet. My Chevrolet, in the Salinas Auto Mall. Hi, this is Terry Crews, actor, former football player, and father of five. I'm also an expert on drama. There's a good kind that comes with having a house full of kids, and there's silly drama like the drama around my percolating pectorals. And then there's the drama you can skip. Skip the drama that comes with not having your high school diploma or equivalency. Find free adult education classes near you and finish your diploma. Visit finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. And lead the drama to actors like me. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ed Council. Voices for Children. CASA ensures that children placed in foster homes receive the care and services they need to be safe and thrive, while also pursuing permanent homes for them. Community volunteers, trained as court-appointed special advocates, provide practical support and rights-based advocacy. Serving as an extension of the dependency court, CASAs monitor the children and develop personal relationships with them reporting to the court on their progress every six months. Children in foster care with a CASA do better at home, academically, and have a better chance of a speedy, permanent placement. Voices for Children CASA proudly serves 100 of these fragile children today, but we have another 100 on our waiting list. Call 831-455-6800 to learn about advocacy. Change their lives and yours.
Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you're just joining us, our topic today is all together now, Mitch. Taxes. Taxes. All right. Got to talk about it. Tis the season. And our guest is attorney Bill Purdy and Bill practices in Soquel here in Santa Cruz County. And he has a master's in taxation and he is a professor at Lincoln Law School of San Jose. Bill, let's address this issue of how people react to taxes. We kind of talked about why did you get into it and what is it like, but yeah, Stephen's right. Fear factor. What is it like uh, having people come in your office? I will say across the board, it is my conclusion after 30 years of this that the entire subject does not engender rational behavior from the people that encounter it, whether they're politicians that are proposing things, whether they are the average person who has to confront various tax issues uh, to when they get into a genuine situation like they're being audited or they haven't filed their taxes for whatever reason, they got sick, they had a divorce, they got depressed. Their behavior across the board pretty much regardless of socioeconomic status or education is to some extent not rational. It's, it's a, so that's kind of a, I mean, that's kind of an amazing reaction. Yet I... I have sensed that. I mean, I went through an audit a number of years ago. I had a consulting practice, and I had this tiny little practice. I had an, a client that failed to file uh, work that I finished in December in that year. I paid the taxes that year. They sent the paperwork in in January in the next year for the next one. And so the next year, I, it triggered an audit for work that I had paid taxes on the prior year. And... I went through the seven stages of everything you've just described. Disbelief, anger, grief. <laughs> and, and I think the thing that is most palpable uh, that you see across the board, whether the person comes in as an attorney, a doctor, if they uh, are a policeman, it doesn't really matter, is fear. Yeah, there so is a, the socioeconomic uh, issue, and, and you're addressing that, I think is important because the reaction, it sounds like you're saying, is across the board, it tends to be uh, consistent. There is a, uh, there's a bit of a fear factor. Would you agree? Sometimes blindingly so. I've had clients that when I told them this is what we're going to do and it's going to fix it, they were so fearful that, uh, either sometimes they didn't come in, but usually what would happen is right to the end, to the point where it actually was totally fixed, they were convinced either I'm going to be arrested, I'm uh, this isn't going to turn out this way, they're going to take my car, they're going to take my house, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. Uh, and it was almost impossible to convince them that it was not going to occur. Let, let me jump in one time on this and your reference to they. I did a word count and you gave me at least five they's there. And what I wanted to address is this David versus Goliath kind of idea and dealing with the IRS. What can you share uh, with our listeners in terms of the ability to deal with the IRS? And I think what you might agree is the value of preemptive moves. Absolutely. The first thing that every person who hears this should understand is never, ever do nothing. I know that's and a double that's negative. And that's probably driven by that fear factor yes. you just talked about. So they're, they're frozen in fear. They're afraid what they're going to find out. So they let it carry on, carry on, carry on. And then they show up at, in your office. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that. It is axiomatic. We pretty much expect it that a person will come in and they will have multiple certified letters from the Internal Revenue Service that are still unopened. And they may go back years 
Mm-hmm. They and won't if, wouldn't even they open, won't, they won't open the letter. Up, they won't open it to look. And I said, do you realize that you know many times this could have been fixed uh, quite a long by simply opening it and responding? Never ever do nothing. If you're contacted by the Internal Revenue Service, make contact and and uh, re- respond. It's the the critical thing I see is that people are so afraid or or so unsure that they don't respond. Now, uh, depending on what it is, the other thing I would tell people, because this will dispel fear right away, is get a tax professional involved. You don't need, per se, to have a tax attorney, but let's, let's take that example of the audit you were talking about. The thing I always tell people, uh, with very few exceptions, is you shouldn't go to your own audit if you can help it. You should have, either, typically a CPA should handle that, and it should be one that has handled IRS audits many times, and there are significant numbers of very high-quality CPAs who do that. Uh, you and, let get- me, and let me jump in here on just one quick thing, a little bit of side note. But I have had no less than six scam calls in the last three months that people that start out by saying, this is the IRS, you have a serious problem, and you will be arrested unless you call back the following number. And I am sure they are preying on the elderly and, and feeding into that fear factor. But I, I suspect you're going to tell us that the IRS doesn't initiate calls that way. They don't do anything that way. They never have. They even have recordings now when you call into the IRS saying, if you get a recording that sounds exactly as you described it, it's not from us. I began literally screaming about this about a year ago when it wasn't as common, sending unpleasant voicemail messages to the FBI, leaving them with the IRS. You know, this is going on. Oh, by the way, they're stealing your money. Does it matter to you that they are? Um, But it is, the fear is so great. I had an elderly gentleman come in, gave me this. His hands are shaking as he tells me about it. I said, sir, it's a scam. You are safe. It's fine. And he gives me the phone number and says, will you please call them because I, I want to be sure. Yeah, that uh, on a, I, I, You can't make this up. That was a valuable public service announcement right there. It Mitch. is it's infuriating. Good. I've recorded a couple of them and talked with the district attorney's office. And, you know, they, were, they file it. They send it in. But they're overseas. It, but they're yeah. overseas. It's exactly what they said. These people are overseas. There's... N- uh, they track. You think that there's a phone number you call back that there'd be a way to track it back, and there is not. It's all it's, spoofed. It is. Um, I will tell you that that responding to the IRS, the IRS, by the time the IRS is calling you, actually calling you, and they do call eventually, uh, that will be typically a revenue officer. You will have ignored anywhere from twenty-five to fifty written correspondence, and at some point, if you haven't paid your taxes. They will typically assign a revenue officer if the tax amount is large enough. This is a this is a very relatively unusual procedure. Most people can handle the things they they need to by looking at their correspondence uh, and responding and or getting a tax professional involved. You said that a number of times. It's gonna be in writing. Yep. And there's going to be yep. that IRS logo on the left side with the little bird-like eagle. Well, I guess not bird-like. It's an eagle. Yeah. <laughs> and you're going to know it's from the IRS. Yeah. So we've, we've talked about audits. Let, let's go back to audits a little bit because Mitch and I had talked about including audits as part of our discussion. And we try to avoid specific legal advice, obviously, in our program. But to the extent that you can talk about 
red flag issues? Uh, what would get the IRS's attention in terms of audits? Is there any rhyme reason Absolutely. to how they do it? There are. And, and if I could tell you what the things were that triggered every audit there was, I would be living on an island and people would paddle out and, and burn incense. <laughs> but I can tell you some that absolutely do. Uh, one of them is the home office deduction. Sure. It is a large uh, pulsating uh, neon sign that says, please audit me. The reason is, is most people don't do that correctly. Uh, the IRS knows they don't, and so it's very fertile. All right. When we come back, we'll pick up with our conversation with our guest, Attorney Bill Purdy. Our topic today is taxes, tis the season. So we're talking about various aspects of taxation law. You're listening to us on the BizTalk Radio Network. We'll be right back after this short break. Applying to Monterey College of Law is not hard, and we have a financial plan and class schedule that is tailored to meet your needs. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true without crippling you with debt on graduation day. I chose Monterey College of Law because I wanted to continue working during the day. I had children at home and I wanted to be able to go to school at night where it wouldn't impact what my children needed from me. There really is not crippling debt that you face afterwards. Monterey College of Law has a payment plan which is manageable and they work with you. The other huge benefit of Monterey College of Law is that the professors are judges and lawyers. By taking their classes, you really actually start networking. So I was very fortunate because I also ended up with a mentor. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. For decades, the students at Monterey College of Law have graduated and gone on to pass the bar and become successful attorneys. However, not everyone goes to Monterey College of Law to become an attorney. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. We also offer students our two-year Master of Legal Studies degree, which can enhance their chosen careers. I was working as a deputy coroner for San Mateo County as a death scene investigator, and I wanted a better idea of the legal issues that were involved in forensic investigations. Everything about Monterey College of Law was accommodating to the uh, course of study I was trying to find. I graduated from Monterey College of Law with no outstanding debt. I'm working as an investigator for the San Mateo County Private Defender's Office, performing indigent defense investigations. For more information, call us today at 582-4000. That's 582-4000. Or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. That's montereylaw.edu. Here is a tip for all who want to get the most for their money. Ready? Think local first. Yep, it's as simple as thinking local first. When you think local first and shop the locally owned independent businesses of Santa Cruz County, more of your money will stay here so you can spend the money again and again and again. How much more will you get for your money? Get this. Five $100 Think Local First checks circulated for 30 days within the Santa Cruz County business community generated $8,711.48 in local business. You heard right. $500 generated $8,711.48. Now, how much business do you think $500 would generate if spent on Made in China at the big box store? 
Not much, right? You will get more for your money, a lot more for your money, when you think local first and shop the locally owned independent businesses of Santa Cruz County. Look for the logo and then shop for the logo and think local first. Thank you. Legal Services for Seniors, a nonprofit law firm, provides no-cost legal assistance to seniors in their two offices in Salinas and Seaside and in outreach locations throughout Monterey County, King City, Greenfield, Soledad, Gonzales, Castroville, Prunedale, Carmel Valley, Pacific Grove, Carmel, and Monterey. LSS attorneys and legal advocates can help with legal issues such as landlord-tenant conflicts, Medicare insurance mix-ups, social security mistakes, consumer fraud, elder abuse, wills, advanced health care directives, guardianships, and more. Find out more about legal services for seniors online at lssmc.net or call one of our offices in Salinas, Seaside, or one of the many outreach sites throughout Monterey County at 899-0492 or 442-7700. In our challenging times, some couples just grow apart and sometimes divorce is the only answer. Divorce is a difficult time for both of you and your kids. It can be expensive. Mediation rather than litigation creates an amicable way to get through a difficult time. That's why the Mandel Gisnet Center at the Monterey College of Law is now offering a new program that makes it affordable for low-income locals. This divorce mediation program is located at the Mandel Gisnet Nonprofit Mediation and Training Center at the Monterey College of Law and is aimed at couples who qualify based on income guidelines and offers sliding scale fees. Wednesday afternoon and evening appointments are available. For more information or to apply, Go to MandelGisnetCenter.org or call 831-582-5234. This is a difficult time. Don't let it bankrupt you too. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. You're listening to us on the BizTalk Radio Network, and we're talking today about taxes, tax laws, and our guest is attorney Bill Purdy. And Bill, before the break, we're talking about the home office deduction as one of the uh, potential red flags that could trigger an audit, but there's more to it. There's other there red are flags. a couple other general ones that you can pretty much... Uh, if you look, you'll see that the IRS is active in this area. One of them is where there is a very significant increase in your income from one year, from a prior year to the current year, but there's no significant increase in the tax or it actually is a decrease in the amount of tax you've paid. Uh, the IRS has percentages that they use, and these are computerized. This isn't being done by human beings. These returns go in, there's an automatic comparison that's done. They look and see, what, what did they make before? What did they make? Oh, they made a lot more now? Well, wait a minute, they're not paying significantly more tax this year. Why is that? If oh, so, it's so that's what that's, a, I want to pick up on that just a second. So the first run through of all of our tax returns is a computerized assessment by certain it is metrics? absolutely done by computer. It, 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 it is a significant way down the process before a human being ever looks at it. No, well, I don't think most people realize that. that. I didn't realize that. You yep. figure because of the numbers of returns and what has to be done, which you've got to compare... And this is exactly the type of thing a machine can be programmed to do, which a person having to manually do would be would be incredibly difficult. Yeah, so I guess okay, at so the simplest level, it makes it really important to do your math correctly Absolutely. because yeah. the machine will pick up 
any math error and it, there's not going to be a human saying oh obviously they just transpose those two numbers weak i see it's not really a problem the machine's not going to see that and there is there is review within the service when they do get kicked by a machine they'll have a reviewer that takes that next look and says at some point someone goes okay this one needs to keep going we need to look at it this one i can see why it happened uh, but it is in, in the first instance this is largely mechanized now okay. the the third major area and people should understand this is that audits are are much more likely at high dollar amounts where people are making very large amounts of income they are more likely to be audited by far than if they are not okay so the myth i was gonna uh, go, uh, that, go yeah, ahead no, go no, ahead no, you got it because that was our next segment well i was gonna say the myth i've always heard is it's easier for them to pick on the little guy because the big guys have somebody like you in their right. corner and they're gonna have to fight with you for three years to get a settlement so why not slam the little guy who doesn't know any better i i will tell you that i i know so-called big guys uh, that have been audited year after year after year after year. Uh, I think one of them's running for president. Well, I, I can at least that's his claim. Tell you that my father <laughs> was was audited, you know, for many many years, uh, and he ran a, a business, uh, a good sized business. But he, it, it's not unusual for uh, people that are making large amounts of money, uh, especially if they have multiple companies or whatever, to be audited periodically. And well, let me ask you about that myth. Then that. you get one audit and it puts you on a hot list oh, that you're, you're almost the, automatically going to get another one and another indelible, one and another one. Uh, the indelible audit list. Right. It, That's right. I hate to say this because it's such an attorney-sounding statement, but it depends. It depends on what you got audited for. It depends on what they found. You know, Bill, I've learned to embrace the idea of the answer, it depends. Right? Uh, as it, long as you can finish the friggin' sentence. Yes, with <laughs> right? something. Depends on, on what. <laughs> yes, right? <laughs> what they found will determine whether they'll be back the next year. For instance, they may not wait. If, if they find that you've mishandled uh, a particular treatment of a particular deduction or something in a particular year, if there's any other open years, they'll go open those right now. Because they'll figure, well, what you did here, you did somewhere else. And if they can open those years during that audit, that's what they'll do. They well, I have to later. say, even in my very small circumstance, there was a, a category that I wanted them to look at. I've got the decision by the agent who was working on it. And then I said, I figured I'd roll the dice a little because there were similar things I was concerned about in the last previous two years. Mm -hmm. I said, so could I get you to look and bless these last couple of years as well? And much to my surprise, they did. Mm -hmm. So I went, phew, I slept a lot better then. You bet. Yeah, so Bill, I want to get your thoughts on that because we want to go back to myth busting a bit too. And, and Mitch put into play, I think you referenced the president, didn't you? Or a presidential candidate, is Not that right? The, only somebody who has aspirations of being the president. Well, you the used president. the word the pres or president, right? right. So, which makes me think about elections and the vows of politicians. And I wanted to get to the issue, a couple of issues actually. One is this idea of vows to abolish the IRS. It would seem that everybody's afraid of it enough that that would resonate with everybody across parties. So is that likely, Bill? Um, it's ridiculous. <laughs> now, how do you really feel about it? Uh, <laughs> the only thing, it, it, it's very much like any of the other inflammatory, take your political uh, stance and then figure out what can be said that's inflammatory that will get people excited and then simply say that. And uh, if you say it, a certain number of people will vote for you because you say it. What I would say about it is, is that uh, let's just assume you did that if you abolish the IRS. And certainly my belief based on 
everything I've seen that there will be two or worse yet three agencies either created or that will spring forward to replace that function. So uh, this mythical savings by eliminating the IRS that immediately imbues to the benefit of the people is not going to happen. It is, it's, it's a pipe dream. It, it's, uh, and the thing about this is, is that if you want to really make changes in the IRS, change the tax code, change how it works, and you will change the functions that the IRS needs to carry out. A, a simplified tax code would do that. And, okay, and so that's the next one. You were going to talk flat tax. Well, yeah, it is. And right? I don't know if that falls under the category necessarily of myth busting or not, but the idea of a flat tax first bill, what is a flat tax? Well, depending on who you talk to, it has a lot of different... The idea is such that basically there's a, a type of tax that everyone pays, everyone... No one no one doesn't pay tax. Everybody pays some tax, and there's some sort of leveling where a person pays, uh, you know, uh, X amount, and, and you're done, and it's simple. Um, I, I would... I would say, based on spending a ridiculous amount of time looking at the Internal Revenue Code, that before I would even want to go there in terms of actually trying to do that, if you just wanted to make a system that was a lot flatter than it is now, if you were to abolish capital gains, you would be a lot closer to that. Because the capital gains tax, which is a favorable tax rate, uh, creates a vast amount of complexity in the Internal Revenue Code, and it is a apple which big businesses, uh, large high-dollar income taxpayers seek to get because you pay significantly less tax if you can get typically into that range. Well, if you got rid of that, uh, you'd get rid of a ton of complexity in the Internal Revenue Code, a ton of of enforcement action and or need to audit things and see how things were handled because you don't have these two radically different taxes. One which can be up to a third of what you make and the other might be as low as, you know, what, 10%, five, I don't So isn't it ironic that some of those who have historically proposed and been proponents of a flat tax are individuals you might presume are being supported by those who benefit by capital gains. So how does that juxtaposition happen? I, Mainly because I think you think it's never going to happen. Well, <laughs> politics makes strange bedfellows, and, and, and taxation, as I say, doesn't engender particularly rational thought. But um, I think the flat tax is an idea. To make that work, you have to remember that if you just have this idea, for instance, that, well, everyone will pay 10%, that's a disaster for lower and middle income people because 10% of their income is a very serious number to them. It's not a serious number for someone whose income is $800 million a year. And so once you start having exceptions that you're only going to have that for those who make over X, then you're right back down the path of a complicated system. You certainly are. The flat tax, I think, to do it correctly is going to take a lot of adjustment over time. I don't think it's a, a pipe dream. I think it could be done. But it, 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 I think we should work towards it. It's one of those things. It's like... Get it, if you got into a tub of water that was very, very hot at the beginning, it would be uncomfortable. It's something we would have to actually move towards. And, and reducing and or abolishing capital gains and doing that carefully would be a first step towards getting towards that. The Internal Revenue Code is incredibly complicated because of, of provisions that have had to be put in there to try to prevent people from getting capital gains when they shouldn't. And they're there throughout the code that's in there. Yeah, and so if you did a word count, God forbid, of the tax code, capital gains and the devotion to reaching the issue of capital gains is very voluminous. It, it is a, it's a, a major complicating factor. And Any, there's overlap and implications and crossover with other tax 
statues. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, we have about a minute before our break, but I want to make sure that when we come back from this break, we talk about the difference between civil penalties and criminal penalties, because I think that's another, you know, in, in our theme of myth-busting, you know, I think there's this fear that they're the IRS police. It's Elliot Ness or nothing. That's exactly yeah, right. No, that's a good topic. That and the venue and the jurisdiction, too. Let's also talk about tax court. What is tax court? How do you find your way into tax court? Yeah, and when, yeah. Who do you who represents you there and things of that nature? Uh, so, Bill, the just in a I'm not sure. We got about thirty seconds before we hit this break. Uh, there are real distinctions between civil penalties, which are just you're going to pay money to fix a problem, but there are criminal penalties in which you can go to jail over over tax issues. Correct. That is correct. So that's what we're going to come back to after the break. Think about that over the break, Bill. When we come back, we'll pick up civil versus criminal penalties within tax law. You're listening to Wagner and Winnick on the Law on the BizTalk Radio Network. And our in-studio guest today is attorney Bill Purdy. We'll be right back after this break. Making a change in career is a serious decision that affects both you and your family. You have many questions that need to be answered before you can make a commitment. I'm Wendy Law Revere, Dean of Admissions at Monterey College of Law. Have you ever dreamed of being a lawyer? We at Monterey College of Law can help make that dream come true. And it's affordable. But don't take it from me. Hear what recent graduate Dan Cullum says. Before I was entering law school, I was an airline pilot. After I retired, I decided that I would go to law school. Monterey College of Law was the avenue to fulfill that desire. I loved Monterey College of Law. It was small classes. The professors were very helpful, personal. You could talk to them. Tuition is not exorbitant at Monterey College of Law, which is the opposite of the way it is at other places. It's affordable. They have a a program at Monterey College of Law that lets you pay as you go. So it's financially possible. There's never been a better time to become a lawyer. Call us today at 582-4000 or visit us online at montereylaw.edu. Long before Woody's cruised Beach Street, kids and teens have needed to know that they are important and that they belong. Since 1969, the Boys and Girls Club of Santa Cruz has provided a place where potential is released and great futures are forged. Help celebrate our 45th anniversary by emailing your club memories and pictures to celebrate 45 years at boysandgirlsclub.info or call 423-3138, extension 23. We are also excited to announce that Monterey College of Law is providing one full tuition law school scholarship each year to a former Boys and Girls Club participant. Contact Executive Director Bob Langseth at 423-3138, extension 21, or email bob at boysandgirlsclub.info to learn more about this exciting opportunity. My Chevrolet, my Chevrolet, when you need a car, truck, say my Chevrolet, in our Salinas Valley, the best two words to say, when you need a car, truck, say my Chevrolet. For your next new or pre-owned car, truck, or SUV, check out the great lineup of vehicles and fantastic deals now at My Chevrolet. My Chevrolet. My Chevrolet, in the Salinas Auto Mall. So I'm a cat, and I just moved in with this new human. 
And she's got this little toy she's always playing with all day long. Tap, 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 bloop, bloop. She can't put it down. There it is. Oh, and get this. She even talks to it. Last week, she asked it for Chinese. And guess what? Egg rolls showed up like magic. Humans have cool toys. A person is the best thing to happen to a shelter pet. Be that person. Adopt. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Legal Services for Seniors, a nonprofit law firm, provides no-cost legal assistance to Monterey County seniors age 60 and above. LSS attorneys and legal advocates can help with legal issues such as landlord-tenant conflicts, Medicare insurance mix-ups, Social Security mistakes, consumer fraud, elder abuse, wills, advanced health care directives, and more. LSS also helps Monterey County seniors obtain guardianship for grandchildren and other family members 18 and younger in their care. Under legal guardianship, you can arrange medical care, give parental consult for school and sports activities, and secure other benefits. Find out more about legal services for seniors online at lssmc.net or call one of our offices in Salinas, Seaside, or one of the many outreach sites throughout Monterey County at 899-0492 or 442-7700. 899-0492 or 442-7700. Do you need an attorney? The Monterey County Bar Association and the Santa Cruz County Bar Association Lawyer Referral Services can help you. The Lawyer Referral Services maintain a list of pre-screened attorneys available to help you with your specific legal needs. Along with specialized knowledge in a particular field of law, each attorney is an active member of the County Bar Association and has malpractice insurance coverage. How much does the lawyer referral service cost? To receive a referral, you pay a non-refundable $50 administrative fee that supports the lawyer referral service. In return, you receive a 30-minute in-person free consultation with a private attorney. So, if you need legal help and do not have an attorney in Monterey County, call 831-582-3600 or go to www.montereycountybar.org. In Santa Cruz County, call 831-425-4755 or go to www.santacruzbar.org. Welcome back to Wagner and Winnick on the Law. If you're just joining us, our topic today has been taxes, and we're going to round out this hour by talking about civil versus criminal penalties. Our in-studio guest is attorney Bill Purdy. Bill, let's pick it up with this idea of civil versus criminal penalties and some of the terms, tax evasion, uh, money laundering, tax shelters. The first thing I want to tell anyone who can hear this, uh, no matter where you are, if, if you're being audited, if you've gotten a notice from the IRS saying we think you owe more money, take a deep breath. The vast majority of the interactions of everyday people uh, by the millions with the IRS are civil. They are not criminal. If you are audited and they find that you owe taxes, you, they do not generally proceed against you criminally. It is, in my 30 years, I've only had three of them where they even thought about it. Uh, all three of them, they didn't for various reasons. 
but it is not common. You have to work at it to end up <laughs> in a criminal matter with the Internal Revenue Service. Okay, and, so tax evasion would fit the definition and, of and, a crime. And let me give you an example. Tax evasion is not, for instance, uh, failing to pay the amount that you should or not filing your tax returns is generally not. I've, I've had dozens and dozens and dozens of people come to me and say, I haven't filed a tax return in, in four or five years, six years. Uh, well, I had one for 20 years. Uh, we went back and we filed the tax returns. Uh, IRS's unwritten policy is if you get to us before we get to you and you file your tax returns and you pay your taxes, you're not going to have a problem. See, that's going oh, wait, back to say, that preemptive say that, move. Say that again, because I think that's actually the message that ought to, that's it's, almost the biggest piece here. So say agree. that again. I have a really hard time convincing my clients, but you have clients who haven't filed their tax returns, get to a professional, we'll get you filed, we'll get them in, we'll start, if you can pay them in full, you pay them, if you can't, you get on a payment plan, and you'll be fine. The but IRS, you get to them before they get Absolutely. to you and you have a much and, and better it is leverage. an unwritten policy uh, the, the the IRS generally does not proceed and in my experience I have never had one where we have filed delinquent returns and the IRS has done that they have a the policy is to get you to file if they proceed criminally against people who hadn't filed for whatever reason who then filed you're gonna have people terrified to file so this is the first thing you need to understand now secondly as, as far as the criminal things go to be criminal, to be tax evasion, you have to be systematically hiding your income with the intent not to pay tax on it and in criminally intending to not do and that. And Bill, you'll like this as a law professor, Mitch and I have talked about this many times. It comes up a lot. We talk about mental state, intent. mens rea, right? And intent. A mistake is not necessarily going to rise to the level of a criminal act. Not at all. And, and the other thing you, you need to know about it is whether it is Actually, the civil aspects of taxes can be more horrendous in this area. There is a general statute of limitations for criminal tax matters. I believe it's six years. It may have changed, but it, it's a, it, there's, a, there's a limit. Wider net in the civil. In the civil area, if you, if you fail to include income on your tax return deliberately, they have an unlimited amount of time to go back and find that and assess taxes, interest, and penalties. In the civil arena, what you're looking at if you're audited is very typically the payment of the tax that you owe, interest on that tax, and penalties if, if applicable for not doing what you should have done. And this is what the vast majority of people face. They do not face it. If you owe taxes and you haven't been able to pay them, you are not going to be arrested by the IRS for this. This is not how they proceed. They will actually give you time to pay it out over time because ultimately they would rather you remain employed and pay it off in time than put you into a into bankruptcy the goal of the irs is to assist in the raising of revenue it is not to jail people and i will tell you this it no one ever believes it when i say it i've had a number of what i call civic-minded felons who were people that were engaged in activities that may not have arisen to the levels of of societal um, acceptance who wanted nevertheless to pay their taxes and uh that can be done it can be done on what I call the inno uh, innocuous label, where you simply label their source of income in something that is accurate but not overly descriptive. Farming. And farming income would be one. <laughs> um, and with no deductions, I would like to point out, because there are none allowed for those particular farming activities, uh, you would want, in, in those cases, the IRS is interested in the collection of revenue. 
Um, and there are some, some practitioners under some circumstances who will have clients uh, file a uh, report on the mound and take the Fifth Amendment right on the tax return. I've never done that. And I've never advised it. But you can pay your taxes, and the IRS is interested in you paying your taxes. They want you to pay them. How does somebody find their way into tax court, Bill? What this is, is tax a, court? an important thing because it relates to those notices you're getting, ladies yep, and gentlemen. All those certified you, you, letters you get that are certified stacking letter, up, right? And it says, we think you owe tax. And at some point you say, I don't owe this tax. And you have an opportunity to tell them why you don't think so. But at some point you will get a letter that says, we think you owe this tax. We propose to assess this tax. And if you do not file a petition in the United States tax court, we will go ahead and assess this tax and begin to collect it. And, and it's that, actually a federal court created by the Constitution. That's correct. It is a it is a court separate from other courts. And and the important thing is this letter, which is known in the trade as a 90-day letter, gives you this period of time. And I mean it's 90 days. You have to get that petition in. If you do, then you can contest what they have proposed without paying the tax oh, okay, good. first. Critical distinction, right? Because if you pay and want to contest, you're going to be in district court. You, you generally, the other route is to allow them to go ahead and assess the tax. And after they've assessed it, you have to go ahead and pay it and then go to the United States District Court and sue for a refund. And no doubt that's as much a tactical issue as anything else. It very assume, much right, is Bill? for the wow. experienced practitioners in that area, which I am not one, they will often decide which way they want to go, depending on uh, tactics that involve the tax involved in the facts. Well, thanks, Bill. This has been great. I think you've given us and our listeners a number of lessons that I think it's really important to, to take to heart. Number one, open the envelopes. Don't avoid them. It can be fixed. It can be dealt with, but avoiding it, it in, there's no scenario in which that will get better. Just uh, act early. Act early, act affirmatively, contact the IRS. moves will help you. And Ignoring this is, yeah, this is one of those cases where, and you should get help. You should get professional help. This is not something where you should wander through on your own. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill, for joining us. We hope you'll have Thank you again. Thank you very much. Well, you've listened to another hour of Wagner and Winnick on the Law. We certainly hope this has been informative and helpful. A reminder that you can hear an archive of this show at wagnerandwinnick.com biztalkradio.com and soon on voiceamerica.com Until next week, please remember if you don't know the law know a lawyer Jacoby here, host of Raising the Standards, right here on KSCO Saturdays, 5 p.m. Tune in and join me, Rachel, my co-host, our buddy Rick, and some of the most interesting folks in the world as we chat and play the best music on the planet. Now remember, if at some point during the program you're not offended, well, you're just not listening. Raising the Standards, Saturdays here on KSEO. Don't miss Raising the Standards with Mike Jacoby, Rick, and Rachel. Saturdays from 5 to 6 p.m. Surfing Northern California for over 65 years. This is KSCO Santa Cruz.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.